we thought supply chains were going to take longer to rebuild. You know, we, we saw a lot of stimulus being thrown out, um, you know, across the globe. And we thought there'd be an inflation problem, which wound up manifesting itself. You know, last year, inflation was pretty, you know, abruptive and, and it caused a lot of pain across longer duration assets, you know, stocks, bonds. We were very worried going into to la- going into last year. Going into this year, we're not as concerned um, in a sense that like it's hard to have back to back down 20% years you know, in the S&P. Welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, where we talk about top stories, trends, and market analysis from an ETF perspective. I'm Daria Solovieva, Managing Editor at ETF.com, and I'm joined by Samit Roy, uh, my colleague and ETF.com Senior Analyst. Hi, Samit. Hey, Daria. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And before we introduce today's guest, I want to remind our listeners that ETF.com Awards will be back in April and the nominations are closing in a week. So you can go to awards.etf.com to make your nominations across a range of categories from the best issuer of the year to the best new ESG ETF. All right. So I'd like to welcome John Davey, who is the CEO and a founder of Astoria Portfolio Advisors, which has $1.3 billion in assets under management. Uh, welcome to the podcast, John. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And this week, we're also celebrating the 30th anniversary of SPY. I know you were over at New York Stock Exchange this earlier this week. And I just wanted to ask you about what the next 30 years of the industry you think will look like and what type of innovation we're likely to see you know, over the next three decades? I started working with ETFs back in, you know, 1999, 2000. At the time, there was, you know, a small handful of ETFs. Um, They weren't prevalent outside of like a few broad-based indices and some sectors. Uh, I mean, there there wasn't a big proliferation, certainly within fixed income or, you know, international markets, let alone alternatives and, you know, VIX products. So, you know, I think ETFs have, you know, always demonstrated the knack for kind of finding, you know, areas of the global marketplace where, you know, products could be launched. And as long as it satisfies investors' demand, you know, it'll proliferate. So, you know, I think eventually what happens is the mutual fund industry, you know, shrinks considerably and, you know, more and more goes into ETFs per se. Um, You know, my hope is that you know, as an active manager, um, you know, ourselves at Astoria, like we see more kind of adoption of active strategies because uh, I think, you know, the low cost core index is pretty much, you know, set or forget at this point in time. But, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, maybe, you know, some additional asset classes that you don't think of now um, to put an ETF wrapper along with just, you know, seeing greater adoption of you know, people. I mean, you know, Morgan Stanley being a big year, big one this year, you know, going into ETF space. In the active space so i think you know in 30 years you'll see every single active manager have an etf strategy the need for active managers is not going to go away and we've also seen the gdp for the fourth quarter this week which rose 2.9 percent a little bit better than expected so in terms of your assessment and outlook for this year does it change you know calculations in any way or are you you know anticipating the lagged impact of interest hikes kind of how are you preparing for the rest of the year well, you know, that that's interesting. I mean, it goes into the heart of kind of what we do at Astoria Advisors, you know, as, as a kind of macro quant based investment manager. Um, you know, so we were so if I just take you back through the, the short history, you know, I won't spend too much time on it, but just so you can kind of see how, 
you know, we, we, we were generally ahead of the curve. You know, in the middle of 2020, um, you know, we started noticing that, you know, supply chains were going to, we thought supply chains were going to take longer to rebuild. You know, we, we saw a lot of stimulus being thrown out, um, you know, across the globe. And we thought that'd be an inflation problem, which wound up manifesting itself. You know, last year, inflation was pretty, you know, abruptive and, and it caused a lot of pain across longer duration assets, you know, stocks, bonds. We were very worried going into to la- going into last year. Going into this year, we're not as concerned um, in a sense that, like, it's hard to have back-to-back down 20% years, you know, in the S&P. Um, I think this year, January, we're off to a strong start. I think it's more of this January effect, a more of a mean reversion, uh, where a lot of last year's biggest losers are outperforming this year. There's a whole host of, you know, asset classes and ETFs I can point to. You know, the Russell 1000 growth ETF, IWF, it was down 30% last year. It's up 70% this year. You know, any number, I mean, small cap, mid cap, you know, SPSM, SPMD, these are down 13, 15%. Last year, they're up 6, 7% this year. Uh, and then the, the ETFs that were up last year, you know, they're not up as much. In some cases, you know, they're down. So XLU was up 1.5% last year. So big outperform on our ultra basis. This year, it's down 2% to start the year. So I think this is a classic mean reversion trade. It's a January effect. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. no doubt that there's been a deterioration in the macro economy and, you know, we haven't seen a trough yet. So I think, you know, it's good that inflation is moderating. Um, but, you know, as long as inflation stays stickier for longer, I think the terminal rate has to stay around, you know, three, four percent, you know, over the course of this year. I mean, the Fed, you know, is going to continue to hike, I believe. You know, maybe they don't go as aggressive as they did last year, but I still, I still think that they'll raise rates because demand is pretty strong out there. I think consumers, you know, have learned their lessons from 2008. I think the stimulus is, you know, running a little bit longer than maybe what a lot of bearish, uh, you know, I think it's to run a little bit longer than um, than originally expected. So I think there's cause for the for the Fed to, you know, keep hikes going. So, you know, my view is that this is a rally you want to start to fade. That's an interesting point that you're less worried going into this year than you were a year ago. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your 2022. Um, You also mentioned that you've had the best year ever as a portfolio manager last year. So could you tell us some of the strategies that work well for you and what are you doing differently or if anything this year? So if I go back to like the comment I just made about June of 2020, Mm-hmm. It was in the depths of COVID, you know, we had developed an inflation sensitive ETF model portfolio to hedge, um, you know, 60-40 portfolios because those 60-40 portfolios had a lot of tech duration, you know, kind of growth bias and, you know, essentially is is more deflationary, you know, so so, so we were ahead of the curve with the inflation trade and, you know, we're the sub-advisor for the Access Astoria Inflation Sensitive ETF, PPI which launched in December of 2021. Um, so, so last year's portfolios did well on a relative basis because we used liquid alternatives. So we had tickers like BTAL, uh, which mm-hmm. was up 20% last year. Uh, we had, to, you know, we used uh, PPI in our uh, ETF models. Our ticker was up, you know, 4% last year. So, you know, between being diversified across factors, between using liquid alts, between like hedging for inflation, you know, we had a, a much better 
investment outcome than let's say the benchmark. Obviously, past performance on indicative future results. Um, and again, we were so bearish going into last year. We're just not as bearish going into this year. But those are some of the tickers that we were using last year that kind of helped navigate our portfolios for, for 2022. Um, that makes sense. And in terms of your fund structure and the sectors that you were thinking, you also have understand international exposure. Is there anything that you're rethinking or looking to revise this year? Well, so so PPI is kind of a microcosm of how we invest at Astoria. So, you know, it is global. So not just U.S. We think investors should be tilting, you know, uh, their portfolios. The U.S. was a great trade, you know, the last 10, 12 years. They produced a one sharp ratio, the S&P 500, normally to like 3, 0.3, 0.4-ish. So, you know, I mean, it was a tremendous decade for just being long U.S. stocks and long U.S. bonds. But we, we think you should be global. So PPI, it does have uh, international exposure. We think in general, you should be diversified across factors. PPI uses a five-factor model. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we think every portfolio should always hedge for inflation, whether it's, you know, historically 2-3% or if it's nowadays, you know, 6-7% got up even more last year. You know, like there's still inflation. It still erodes from your purchasing power. People will say like, okay, stocks are the best inflation hedge. Well, they weren't a good inflation hedge last year, right? The S&P was down 20, NASDAQ was down 30. So you really got to have the, the sectors that I think we lean on in PPI, which is like energy, materials. And then, you know, we also use commodities and tips. So it's a multi-asset ETF, which is kind of how we manage our own portfolios, which is multi-asset in nature. So uh yeah so yeah my ppi is really kind of a microcosm of how we uh you know how we manage our money but i I think one of the trends we're seeing this year and you you mentioned like how we're thinking about you know changes to make for this year you know internationally is obviously having like a very good year Uh, dgre uh, which is an emerging market uh etf we use you know is down 22 percent last year it's up 11 percent this year um yeah you know like it, it having a globally diversified portfolio, I think, is the, the the strategy you want to start to lean on in the next three five years. I don't think you know, the the past decade is going to repeat the winners that uh, you know that we had previously. I think you got to go down the market cap range, go internationally, you know, own inflation hedges. So that's kind of how we're thinking about the next three to five years. Interesting. So some of the trends that you've captured, I know that you also have a selection of the top. 10 ETFs for 2023, and it looks like bonds and the night effect is uh, featuring prominently, which we've uh, we've covered the night. Summit has covered the night effect um, in detail for ETF.com as well. I was wondering, you know, what are some? What do you see some of the biggest trends developing this year that you could tell us more about? Well, I mean, so just to bring it to that 10 ETFs standpoint, you know, I, I do think this year. You know, bonds were such a horrific, you know, asset class last year. I do think that this year, you know, like you can clip four, five percent with relatively low risk. I mean, you can get risk free and own T bills, you know, three month maturities and get four point three. You could take a little bit of duration risk, you know, corporate bond risk and get, you know, five. You know, I do think that like, you know, what the all the ETF providers that are focused on fixed income doing, I, th- I think like. They'll continue to democratize investing. You know, we like what Bombbox is doing with their kind of target duration uh, ETF. So we we're starting to utilize a couple of them. You know, we put them in our 10 ETFs. 
So I think it'll be a big year for, for you know fixed income just because it's attractive on a relative basis. You know, with that said, like everyone buying T bills, right, which was like one of the trades that everyone liked the last three or six months. You know, when people say like, "Are you surprised with this rally?" It, I mean, positioning is not high, so the fact that everyone was piling the T bills the last you know three six months, you know, but I think that's it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, and you know the market kind of obviously is, is off to this roaring start to the year you know i do think we need to think about other ways to manufacture risk and return in the portfolio so you know we like you know what nitrous is doing this is a lot of academic research that shows you know the day sessions are historically more volatile than the night session you know i'm i'm definitely watching you know the active etf space and big firms like morgan stanley entering you know it's kind of fascinating to see you know capital group you know for Literally, you said 30 years by, you know, it's really been the last five to 10 years where as an active management firm, you would have made a conscious decision to enter the space. And the fact that you didn't, now you're coming in, obviously, very late to the game. The capital group has done well. You know, I'll be interested to see what Morgan Stanley does. You know, I spent a decade at Morgan Stanley, so I'm obviously rooting for them, you know, big time. I don't think it's too late if you look at, like, the mutual funds, how much assets on a management they have. I think it's like, you know, north of 15 trillion, somewhere between 15 to 20 trillion. So they still dominate in like the 401k space. So those are kind of some of the trends we're watching from like a issuer standpoint, product placement standpoint, or just kind of themes like we like more fixed income equities, you know, this year. So th- those are some of the things that we're, we're monitoring. John, a lot of really interesting stuff you mentioned, and you covered a lot of ground. Uh, you know, everything from your inflation sensitive ETF to the night shares. But you did touch on factor ETFs, which I kind of wanted to drill down a little bit more on. I know you're a big proponent of factor ETFs. How do you utilize these in your investment approach? You know, in the Vanguard world, you're going to buy four ETFs, right? Total US, total non US, total US bond, total non US bond. Yeah, in practice, like not a lot of advisors would do that because, you know, otherwise you just go to Vanguard Direct and, you know, do that. You know, all the research that we've done, we've read, um, shows that when you invest in a portfolio of factors, you can get high up in the Fisher Frontier, uh, which I think is ultimately what you're trying to accomplish. I think my problem with that four ETF portfolio is that so much money has gone into these, you know, total U.S., you know, it just distorted valuation. So... I think if anything now, you know, it's a great time to kind of diversify across factors because you had so much concentration risk. You know, when you put trillions of dollars into just the S&P 500 or VTI, you know, that same, you know, those dollars are chasing a few and fewer stocks. So it created this like big, you know, valuation premium for the FANG stocks. That's starting to mean revert, but we're still a ways from it. So, so we just think things like that have long academic evidence, you know, size, value, um, quality, profitability, momentum. Like these are factors that I think we would look to lean upon. Factors are cyclical. There's periods of time where certain factors work better than other factors. Um, you know, quality worked well last year, right? So we use DGRE, which is a quality tip from Wisdom Tree. You know, that outperformed the S&P 500 by like 10%. So that was the key driver for last year's outperformance. Um, you know, I, I think like, you know, you have to 
pick and choose which factors you believe in for whatever reason and then just kind of own it. Don't trade too much and, you know, harvest it in a tax efficient manner, low cost. And, the, you know, the beauties of ETFs that they're pretty low cost in general now. So, but those are the ones that I think we would favor, you know, next three to five years, you know, always quality because quality is you know, easy to understand. It's easy to, you know, it's easy to explain to the financial advisor. You know, it's persistent, yeah. pervasive, robust. But, you know, things like size, I think you want to lean on. I think value has a lot more legs as well. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, especially since we just went through this long cycle, it seems, where growth and momentum and things like that really outperformed. So you're saying essentially that long cycle might be coming to an end and we're heading into this other cycle where value, quality and things like that might outperform. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think so many people thought that the only stocks that were going to go up in perpetuity was bang. And, and obviously, you know, those those five stocks were untouchable so long right now you're starting to see a lot of cracks right and we don't go into like individual fun you know stocks and we do a lot of fundamental analysis but it's always kind of aggregated up to like a sector factor next level but you're starting mm -hmm. to see a lot of cracks with these individual stocks that were in the fang so I, I think like there was a big bubble and that bubble is in the process of being unwound and, and usually these bubbles take years to kind of like unwind so Again, always want to be more diversified than less. That's kind of what we preach. That makes a ton of sense. And John, you have a lot of clients who are advisors. How are they feeling about the, the current investment environment? Are they nervous or do they see opportunity out there? Well, I think now with the markets, you know, having a foot in and they understand now how to model for inflation. So things like commodities and things like PPI and tips more recently look better than it was, you know, um, you know, at the start of 2021, but you know now they know that there's a, uh, this is how you protect for inflation. So I think they're you know feeling better, more comfortable. But you know what they have to be careful for us amid is that like you know every single you know big Wall Street bank is predicting a recession, talks about on TV all the time, and you know the macro data is poor. So that gives them some concern too because. You know, usually in a recession, the S&P historically falls, you know, 20%. And given that it just fell 20% last year, you know, th those start to be very difficult from like a wealth accumulation standpoint, right? So again, that's why we practice and we preach, okay, be diversified. Don't just own the U.S., right? Tilt your portfolio outside the U.S. Use liquid alternatives. Use factors, right? These are all things that will help mitigate you. And, you know, if you did some of what we've been talking about, you know, if you looked at our portfolios and how we navigated last year, you didn't have nearly, you know, the, the kind of experience you would have had just owning the S&P had you done some of these things that we've been talking about on this show. That's interesting, John. You you mentioned a lot of the themes and trends carrying over from last year when you looked at fixed income um, and some of the name, the tech bubble that you mentioned. Is there anything that surprised you at the start of the year? We're almost at the end of um, January. Well, the mean reversion is definitely pretty severe. I mean, cryptocurrencies, you know, being up a lot, you know, things like Coinbase. I think Coinbase is up, you know, 30, 40%. But again, it was down last year, you know, probably 80 or 90. Um, so, you know, the mean reversion trade, as much as it's discussed, always surprises me when I see it. If you, if you followed what Wall Street research analysts were saying going into this year, if you read their forecast in mid-December, you know, you would be sitting in cash, you would have been 
you know, running for the hills. And, you know, so far <laughs> this year is not as bad. So that mm-hmm. that is surprising to me, like how, you know, and, and that's why Mr. Market always, you know, kind of keeps you honest because you just can't predict these things. In, in the face of deteriorating fundamentals for the macroeconomy, like the fact that we're up this much, knowing that there's this mean reversion effect is is fascinating. Not as bad as anticipated. I'll, I'll take that. Thank you for joining <laughs> us, John. I would, would have to leave it there. Um, and thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. 